Welcome back to Seeing Life from a Different Angle. The topic for today is hard to pin down in terms of a title, but I would say basically which door would you choose as a tentative title. It's something that throughout the years my patients and I have spoken about, the people that I've been fortunate enough to call my patients. And basically the idea is this, is that we are confronted by these different choices, these different options in our life. And it is a day-to-day, -day, sometimes a minute-by-minute -minute type of choice that we have to make, particularly when it comes to how we relate to other people. The number of times, for instance, I have had patients say to me, now what do I do? I've come to learn something about myself or I've come to learn something about the person that I am with, and now what do I do with this? You know, how do I treat this person? The other day, Tom, my best friend and I were talking about how that is such a struggle. He's a therapist as well. And we were talking about how, you know, a patient will get to a particular point in therapy where they've come to recognize the pathological, unhealthy ways that they have lived their life. They've begun to challenge the reality that they've lived in and begin to push down the fence that surrounds their myopic reality. But then they're confronted with a very difficult reality, which is the person I've been with fits into that old reality, but they don't necessarily fit into my new reality. So what do I do with that? There's a story in the Bible about this rich man that goes to Jesus and he says to him, Master, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus says, well, you've done all the right things, but here's what you need to do now. You need to sell everything that you have give all the money to the poor, and then follow me. And the rich man turns away because he doesn't want to give up everything that he's fought for in his life. Now at church, the pastor or the priest might say to us, how are we like the rich man? But I think for the sake of our own understanding, it is better to consider the angle of how are we like Christ in this moment? Because I think Jesus had four primary options as to how to deal with this. The first option that he had was to say to the rich man, just kidding, it's okay. You don't have to give up everything that you have. Just bring it with us. We'll carry it along and we'll be fine together. The second option was to say to the rich man, you know what, I'm going to stay with you until you decide that you value me enough and the path that we could be on together and that you love me enough to want to give up the things that you have and to follow me. The third was to say to the rich man, okay, well, I'm going to leave, but I'll be back tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after until you decide that you want to give up what it is you have and follow me. Before we get to the fourth option, let's consider the first three, because I think we do these as human beings on a constant basis with every relationship, almost every circumstance that we have. Consider the first option. So imagine those times in your life when a family member has said to you that they want you to act in a particular way. They want you to deal with the conflicts that are going on in their life for you to, quote unquote, carry the weight. Naturally, we want to think about, OK, well, this person is a person that I love. And so we want to be there for them. We want to take care of them. We want to nurture them. We want to do all the things that we think are right for them. However, just like with the rich man, the gold that he had was part of the unhealthiness of his life. 
when Jesus said to him, sell everything that you have, give the money to the poor and follow me. He was saying to the rich man, I think, give up what you have of this world, because this isn't the most important place. Heaven is the most important place for you to be. These riches are tying you to this place. This materialism is tying you to this place. In the same way, when we think about it, there are people in our life that we love and that we value and we hope will love us in return, but they oftentimes carry with them these weights. And when we say to them, it's okay, you can bring your weights with you, you can carry these things with us, and I'll carry them with you too when you're struggling to carry them. On the surface, like I say, it appears noble, but in reality, what ends up happening is it starts to weigh us down. You know, the unhealthy choices that an individual makes in their life, like we have talked about the pathology, the distorted ways that their ego has learned to deal with life, you know, that becomes a weight that hangs around our shoulders. I'm reminded of a patient of mine who was talking about the unhealthy romantic relationships that she had in her life and that the men that would come into her life would basically treat her very, very poorly in emotional ways and in sexual ways, but because that's what she grew up knowing as a relation, as a result of the relationships that she had with her family, she carried it. She assumed that this was her weight to carry, that if she was going to be loved by these men in her life or what she considered to be love, then she was going to have to carry that weight. But what was it going to do to her? When they put it on her, they didn't stop really carrying it. There were still living in pathological ways, but now she was also going to be living in their pathological way. So if we imagine going back to the story of the rich man and Jesus, we could say the rich man bringing all this money with him was going to be corrupting. It was like a cancer to anyone who would want to focus attention on where they were going instead of where they were. You know, if we're so focused on where we are, in particular, how we want to function in this world and how much money we have, then we will fail to see the next. C.S. Lewis had said that if we focus, and I'm paraphrasing, if we focus our view on earth, all we will ever have is the earth. If we focus our view on heaven, then we'll have the earth and heaven. And I think that's the key, is we don't want to be so focused on carrying someone's pathology that we and believing that this is a loving, nurturing relationship because then we remain stuck in that moment. Now, the second option was the one where we talk about staying with the person until they decide that they love us enough to want to come with us. Now, all of us, I think, have been in circumstances where we could say the person says, well, I don't want to change my life, and if you really love me, you'll stay with me. For those of you who listened to the last podcast or the podcast before the last about the cornerstones of a relationship, it's a lot like the fourth cornerstone, the people that we will try to change, but they, they're not interested in change. They want to keep things as they are, but we stay with them because we believe that eventually they'll be what it is that we need them to be. And so if we take the idea of Jesus and the rich man, it would be Jesus saying, okay, well, I'm going to stay on your couch and stay here and wait and wait and wait until you decide that it's worth it, not just for you, but also for me. You know, think about 
the times within relationships where you are in love with this other person, but this other person is so incredibly unhealthy. We'll say they have an alcohol issue. They're drinking all the time or they're using drugs all the time. And then they're, they're saying to you, but if you love me, you'll stay. You'll be here for me. Eventually, I'll get better after the 12th or 15th time in rehab or whatever it might be. I'm going to get better eventually. Now, our natural inclination is to say, I love this person. So, of course, I'm going to stay with them. But the question is this, is this love? Is it love if it doesn't go both ways, if it isn't mutual? You can only say, I feel a sense of being in love with this other person. In other words, that I want to be there to meet their needs and to take care of them. The question is this, do they feel similarly? Do they have the same inclination? Are they, as we talked about, a person of the chest who says, I see what it is you feel and what it is you think, and that matters to me as much as what it is I think and what it is I feel. Because if it's not the case, then no matter how long I sit there hoping to God eventually that you will love me enough and value me enough to want to say, let's move on together because I know that it's important for you as well as it's important for me. The third option, the one where Jesus keeps coming back over and over and over again, hoping that eventually you will go with him. It's very comparable to the notion of Christ kind of knocking at the door saying, okay, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? However, I think it's similar to the second option of staying with someone because you hope that they will eventually love you enough. With the third option, we're still stuck. The thing about the difference between human beings and Christ, or one of the many differences, is that Christ is already perfect. And as a byproduct, you know, he doesn't, he can stay longer and he can linger in a space waiting for us to come, hoping that we will come. But we human beings are not. And so when we linger in a place, what that means is that we're not moving toward a better life, toward a healthier life. We're standing still. We're waiting for things to change, hoping that this person will say, I love you enough, I value you enough to want to move on with you, and I want you to move on too. And so when we think about these first three options, it goes back to something we have t talked about and explored, which is that subjective viewpoint that we tend to have of ourselves. We tend to be people of the chest, people of, sorry, not of the chest, people of the stomach or people of the head who are so very much focused on what it is that's going on in our lives and so much of it is sadly driven out of a need for self-preservation. I have been raised in a circumstance, we might say to ourselves, where I do not know for sure that anyone will love me or value me, so I will take care of myself and I will focus on myself and I will get what it is I need in order to survive. Now, that can take any number of degrees, but self-preservation is a piece of all of us. For some, it is less. For others, sadly, it is more. And these first three options really are about saying to the other person in our lives, you know, I'm a person of the stomach. I'm a person of the head. I'm very much focused on my feelings and my thoughts, respectively, and therefore, I need to think about what it is that's going to help me to preserve myself. So if we take option number one, you'll preserve me by carrying the weight of me. If we take option number two, 
you'll preserve me and I'll preserve myself by saying, I'm going to keep living my life the way that I've always lived my life and nothing is going to change. All I'll have is the opportunity in the future perhaps to walk along with you because thank you very much, you've chosen to stay with me. And in the third option, I don't have to change my life at all. I can stay exactly where I am and I can count on you continuing to remind me that eventually this is an option for you. But Jesus didn't choose any of those options. He didn't choose taking along the weight of the other. He didn't choose staying, hoping that this person would eventually love him enough to want to move on. He didn't choose continually knocking at the door over and over and over again. Instead, he chose to walk on. He walked through what we'll call an open door. He walked on with his life towards more. If we in human beings consider that, what is that more? I think it comes in a combination of different things, it results in a combination of different things. The first thing that happens is that in order to walk through the door, I have to be able to say I'm willing to fight to give up the unhealthy pathological ways that I've learned to live my life. And as I give up those things, as I seek out healthier ways of dealing with life, then the fear that holds me on the one side of the door diminishes and it allows me the strength to walk through that door and to keep walking on. So before we take this to the next step, it's important, I think, for us to consider and refresh our minds about what is pathology. And probably the best way to approach it is to consider examples. You know, when we think about our different needs, and we'll just stick with one or two for the moment, we think about our emotional need. The emotional need is basically the desire within our ego, that part of us that seeks to help us deal with the external and the internal world. It's the desire within the ego to be able to express our emotions to another and not have them challenge those emotions as inaccurate or unreal or something that we have to change or alter in some way. You know, but we think about it, it's very rare that we're allowed that opportunity. You know, we tend instead to yell and rant and scream and beg and plead for people to hear our feelings and to let us express our feelings or Sadly, we may get, even get to a point where we just don't share those feelings at all. You know, I think about a protester, for instance. Now, a protester is someone, like we've talked about, who is oftentimes wrapped up in this very subjective view that everyone in this space feels the way that I feel. And everyone that is gathered here to protest a cause for whatever that cause might be, political or apolitical, it is something that I believe everyone in this space, these 100, 500, these 10,000 people, all feel and think the way that I think and feel. But let's focus on the feelings for the moment. In those moments, what ends up happening is they believe at some level or another, because they're so wrapped up in the subjective view of their own feelings, these people of the stomach, that they express them very loudly. They express them shrilly oftentimes. And the complication is this, is that here you have this unhealthy way of expressing your feelings. Instead of being able to sit down and talk about how it is you feel, you've gotten to a point where you don't believe that anyone cares. You don't believe that anyone's going to listen to you. You believe everyone has your view and those that don't have your view 
are worthy of being canceled or worthy of, you know, being pushed down societally or through social media or whatever the case might be. But in truth, there's a struggle within yourself to believe that anyone really ever did care about your feelings. And that's why, much like children, when they get hurt or upset and they do not feel that anybody's hearing them, what do they do? They raise their voice. They get louder. They get more boisterous about their pain and their anger, their frustration, emotionally speaking. And so when we think about it, how can I carry on a walk on in a healthy way if I'm carrying this unhealthy way of dealing with my feelings? I really can't because the other side of it is the fear. If I can't express myself in this particular way, then how am I going to get this need met? Instead, what we need to be able to do is work back toward a healthier view that we were born with or that our ego began with which was the view that I am valued enough to be able to share my feelings, to talk about how it is I feel and to not have anybody tell me I don't or to tell me I can't. And so what we need to be able to focus on in order to cross through this door is to begin to work our way back toward the expression of our feelings or the expression of our thoughts or being able to be touched and held in ways that are truly healthy for us, not the unhealthy pathological ways that we have learned. So going back to the fourth option, think about the idea that as I cross this door and as I start walking down this path, it doesn't mean that I am pathology free at that moment, but I'm challenging those things. I'm taking the risk of pushing back in my relationships, pushing back within myself to try to do things in a healthier way, in a more childlike sort of way. You know, it's much like Christ had said, you know, if we are like children, you know, we are more likely to be closer to God. And I think that that's true. It's the child inside of each of us that longs to be loved and does not see any reason why we couldn't be loved. The sad reality of it is, We've been raised in a world that doesn't oftentimes allow us to see that clearly because we're raised by human beings who have issues of their own. So let's go back, though, to the fourth option. And so we've walked on, we begin to walk on this healthy path. Now, what we begin to notice are a couple different things. First, there is certainly within us this trepidation. You know, who am I going to find on this path? What if nobody else is there? But I think what we end up realizing is that that is the status quo of our ego saying to us, go back, go back through the door, go back to what it is that's familiar to you, carry other people's weight or hoping that they will change or stay with them until they love you. And the voice of that can be extremely strong. We've been raised, for instance, on this notion that as long as we stay on the track that we are on, everything will be okay. But it's never okay. It's never really nourishing. It's never really gratifying. And so to walk through this door, there's always going to be that voice inside your head, inside your psyche, that's going to say to you, hmm, you really should consider turning around because this isn't the good option for you. Who's really going to be on that path? The answer to that is people who are on that path with you, people who also want a healthier life, people who want the healthier measures of connection, the people who have given away what it is they had, so to speak, psychologically, and gave the money to the poor. You know, 
there are people who are there for that. The second result of walking through this is that we realize that we're heading toward something, something more nourishing, something more gratifying for our life. And we're now heading along this path with others beside us. So now we've found other people that are similar to us, who are healthier as well, who are interested in continuing to walk on. And at the same time, we also find ourselves all heading toward a healthier, more nourishing psychological life. The third is oftentimes some, the most difficult because we have left behind, so to speak, people on the other side of the door, people who are stuck in their pathology and who struggle with trying to keep things going the way that they are out of their own fear. And that's a very difficult thing. And that's where it becomes complicated for relationships. Am I supposed to leave these people behind? You know, am I just supposed to never see them again? Am I to write them off? I remember an episode of Dr. Laura Schlesinger's show where she talked about her relationship with her family and how she had decided that it was best to just kind of cut them off at a particular point in time. Now, I'm not sure if she would follow the same prescription that I would follow now or if she did. But what I would say is this. It's not necessary. It isn't. It's not necessary for us to cut off people in our lives. If we go back to the, the story that we talked about from C.S. Lewis, where we are all ships in a convoy, these are the ships. These are people that matter. They are all children of God. Why would they matter any less than us? So why would we be cutting them off? These ships, these sailing ships, are all a part of the same body. And so, like the song, No Man is an Island, every one of them matters. Every person matters. Everyone is struggling with some difficulty in their life. And so do we just say, okay, wipe my hands clean. I'm no longer going to have anything to do with these people. Or do we say to ourselves, you know, there is some value to them because they're children and adults clothing as well. They're struggling as well. And I think it's important to consider, you know, in that place, an alternative. And that alternative is compassion. I think when we look at another human being and we recognize a child inside of them, we recognize the little infant that they are, how could we but feel compassion for someone, no matter how much pain they may have caused us, no matter how much sadness they're going through in their lives, no matter how much anger they have, they are still a human being, still a child who desperately longs to be loved. And so we have this opportunity not to cut them out of our lives, but to begin to alter the relationship, to begin to see them with a measure of compassion, which means when we interact with them, we don't shut them down. We try to be people of the chest. We try to be objective, to try to understand where they are, what they've been through, where they're coming from. You know, everyone has a history and everyone's history is full of struggles and conflicts and strife and trauma. There's not a single one of us who gets out of this world unscathed. And so wouldn't it behoove all of us to be able to say, I can see this other person. I can see what they think. I can see what they feel. And I can understand and be compassionate toward the child in adult's clothing. I want to thank you for listening and I wish you well. <laughs>